Canucks Central Friday. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw in the Kintech studio. This hour is brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. It is uh, the finale of Canuck Central in the 12-2 to 2 time slot. Don't worry. We'll be back 4-6 to 6 next week. I just wanted to scare people a bit, a little bit there, Sat. Terrifying saying, uh, a little bit. Yeah, It's the finale. Fa- the final show of Canuck Central. Yes. From noon to 2. Finales never really have a great ending, do they? Like, what's the no, last television show that like you saw where the finale actually lived up to the rest of the season or the rest uh, of the series? The rest of the series, it's tough, right? I, I, Game I of Thrones know. was awful. That was, it wasn't great. Um, <laughs> I did like the Breaking Bad finale. I thought it was really good. Oh yeah, I did enjoy that. Um, they had to leave something open for a spinoff, of course. So they yeah, did. of course. I mean, you always do, uh, but uh, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, that's that's how it goes with these. I mean, I, I I've heard of Better Call Saul that this finale is really good, but oh, I haven't yeah, seen it, it yet. I, have, I haven't watched it yet. Mm. I'm still. I, I just start. I gotta. I gotta finish the final season still. All the but, AMC shows, apparently. Yeah, they're pretty good. Now, not all the AMC shows, but yes, most of them. (laughs) Yes, not all of them, but uh, the the Breaking Bad series has been pretty good. Uh, But, you know, I mentioned this because finales generally are upsetting, and uh, the season finale for the Winnipeg Jets, uh, disgusting, according to the coach, or he was disgusted by their performance in the finale. (sighs) I, I honestly, I, I was just so happy when I heard the quotes because I'm like, this is a great thing we're going to be talking about. We, we get to talk about this tomorrow, and the Jets are already an interesting test case to begin with. And it was just, it's just something you don't often hear in the NHL. Well, you do hear it every once in a while, but you don't hear it when a team's been eliminated in the postseason. It's, um, it's not too dissimilar from Rick Bonus's rhetoric throughout the back end of the season for the Winnipeg Jets mm-hmm. who look to be cruising into a playoff spot at the midway point of the season and then barely get in in the last couple days of the regular season because they limped in as you would say and it's I mean it's been a, a story as old as time now with this Winnipeg Jets core that their habits aren't great, they don't defend well enough, they don't play hard enough, consistently enough. All of these things that we've heard about the Jets and we heard about the Jets in the Paul Maurice era started to creep in through the back end of the season. And Rick Bonus tried as he might to try and get them to turn the tables once again. But once those old habits creeped back into this Jets team... They just they couldn't turn it around, and they got steamrolled by the Vegas Golden Knights in this series after they won Game One. Yeah, and, and you know what that to me when he keeps saying, you know, we we have to be able to push back. They didn't they didn't push back. That kind of tells me that these guys aren't in it together. You know, when when you really need to lean on your teammates and you really need to kind of you know rally somebody and show leadership and, and really show that you care because this is the hardest time and that's when you need to be positive that's when you need to you know carry guys along and it looks like nobody did nobody has right and that tells you it, that team is broken it, it's completely broken and and maybe they had to make all the moves they're going to probably make this offseason anyways but it shows you that a broken team can sometimes cannot be fixed unless you move some really key principal people out of there. And sometimes taking the captaincy away from a player and keeping him on the team isn't enough. 
So they did that with Blake Wheeler, who's got a year left on his deal. Um, you know, he was one of the guys I think that played hard throughout this series. Shifley's got a year left on his deal. He's had a lot of speculation about wanting out. Pierre-Luc Dubois, we know, has his eyes set on Montreal in the future. Connor Hellebuck is now a year out from free agency. I mean, it doesn't. it's not hard to go look in cap friendly and see how much uncertainty there is in the future of this core just based on the length of time on their contracts. It's a crossroads and clearly a point where there is going to come change. And when Bonus came in, he was sort of tasked with this, hey, we need you to like find some culture again with this team. We need you to break them down and build them back up again. And he tried, and they got through the first half of the season. Things were going really well. It turned around pretty quickly. But what you mentioned, Sat, you know, they started to go by their own script. It's something we heard quite a bit from Bonus. If you read some of the the stories in the aftermath of this out of Winnipeg, and we've heard a lot of these kinds of quotes from Rick Bonus through the end of the season. And playing for each other, not a thing with this Winnipeg Jets team. When you start to go by your own script, that's when things start to fall apart. And I don't think there was any way the Jets were going to turn that around with the way they were playing. No, and I didn't have a lot of confidence in this team to begin with because you see these things and it just becomes kind of evident that, that this team isn't serious. And when your team is unserious, that's an issue, right? And and it's very hard to break those bad habits, especially if, if that true trust isn't there. But it's, it's maybe clear why trust isn't there when we've heard stuff about a really bad mix when it came to the leadership and, and how poor the leadership had been, especially in terms of bringing people together and how clicky it had been at times and, 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 and how certain veterans made life for other guys, especially for Sat, young this guys, this goes all in. the way back to when Evander Kane was a Winnipeg Jet. Exactly. You know how long ago that was? That's like what? It's like eight years ago now. <laughs> yeah. Like we're, we're talking about it's like forever ago. You're right, and I mean, and that's not to say that Evander Kane was faultless. That's not the you know. That's not the point I'm trying to make. Here. No. No, yeah. I, I know, and I know exactly what you're talking about. But still, there there's something amiss in that room. And when Buffalo was there, it seemed like things were at least okay. Since he's been gone, it's been an absolute mess, right? And when you don't move away to huge parts of those leadership groups, eventually it starts becoming an issue, right? Now, the difference in Vancouver is they traded the captain. And I'm not trying to compare, you know, Wheeler or the Jet situation to Bo Horvat being the principal issue or anything. But Vancouver did make that move of ch- trading the leader of the team. And now it's time for a new kind of group to build, right? And obviously the whole... Uh, relationship between JT and Patterson has been well discussed in this market, and we and it seems to have been put to bed to some degree with how the, those guys came together at late in the season, and especially how they've handled questions and and how they've reacted to suggestions about uh, each other and all those things. So I think that's something that that looks to be at least very at at the moment to be more than fine. So so I do think Vancouver's taken some steps that Winnipeg never did to truly change the direction of that leadership. Now Vancouver still has a long way to go, but there's a real lesson here about there's only so so many chances you can give a certain group of core players and leaders. And if they don't come through, sometimes they've shown you who they are and you got to start believing them. It's it's pretty like it is very um I don't want to say concerning because that's not the right word, but when I was reading some of these stories about the Jets today and their season recaps, it felt like I was reading stories about the Vancouver Canucks from Mm -hmm. a few months ago. Yeah. You know, and remembering things that we talked about here on this show. 
and you know, previous coach. It's not like Bruce Boudreaux didn't point out bad habits with a lot of these core players. He did and did it frequently as they were trying to battle in their way into the playoffs. They overcame some of those issues for a large part of Bruce Boudreaux's initial tenure, but every single one of those bad habits crept back in when the season started this year. Now, you know, you're hoping that Rick Tockett has a different result, but this is sort of what you worry about with the Vancouver Canucks. It's like, okay, you know, guys can button up and they can, you know, commit to something for a little while, but once they hit that little bit of adversity, are they going to stick with the program? And we, to be honest, we started to see a little bit of that begin to happen towards the end of the season here, Sat, even with Rick Tockett, where he started to mention the bad habits are starting to creep back in and we can't have that happen here. And he, and he didn't sound convinced at the end of the season that they're going to figure it out, mm-hmm. right? Like he, he said he's hopeful and he's optimistic and everything, but he stopped very he started well he stopped well short of saying oh yeah like you know that th- we're going to be a playoff team and and all this like he hopes he's going to be positive but he says we're going to have to wait and see it's very much wait and see you know and. The reason it is that is because we've seen a lot of signs. We even saw it towards the end of the season here, right? And and that's why, as much as there are discussions about, hey, we're running it back here, I am curious, and we all kind of wondered after management and the and the coach met, especially with what Alvin had to say that, hey, hey, maybe don't believe the suggestions that they're pretty content with bringing the same roster back because why would you when you don't have enough evidence to truly believe in the real core group of players? And we all know the guys who are not going anywhere, right? But it's more about the suggestions of, are they content keeping Brock? Are they content keeping Garland and Myers and all these guys? Are they happy doing so? Because I truly don't think they are. And we've seen enough signs and we've seen enough signs elsewhere and lessons to be learned about, you know, not making enough changes and changing a leadership group over that if they can, I think they're still going to follow through with a lot of changes because not only do you need it for cap purposes, you still kind of need it to, to truly shake things up the way you need to. Um, this question comes in on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, 650-650. Is that why Maurice left? He ran out of answers for this team and wanted to move on. You know, Maurice, he quit midseason last year. <laughs> you know, how often like, do we I'm out? <laughs> yeah. How often do we see coaches just say, you know what? <laughs> I'm good. <Yeah. laughs> I'm done with this. And, you know, there was talk that he wanted to do that even earlier. He didn't want to start last season as the head coach of the Winnipeg Jets, but he was convinced to stay on by ownership and by the general manager, Kevin Shevel Dayoff. And obviously he couldn't turn the tide around. And there are some that believe Maurice was part of the problem because he, um, I wouldn't say enabled, but, you know, he really backed up a lot of these guys and talk about Kyle Connor being a great defensive player when he wasn't really all of that. Uh, you know, they talked about yeah. Mark Shifley being, you know, one of the top, 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 top guys in the league. And he'd won like what? One playoff series, two playoff series in his career. It's, you know, you can't, you know, there's only so much you can coddle players and tell them how good they are when they haven't accomplished anything this season. And I think that's that's not a problem the Winnipeg Jets have solely. I think that's maybe something that happened even here to a certain extent, Sat, with the bubble playoffs and really this team not accomplishing much outside of that. You know, players, if you're not having success in the playoffs, you know, that's really where you make 
your name as a true top, top player in the league? Well, yeah, because it's so much harder to have success because the game changes, right? I mean, one of the things that always gets me is we get to the playoffs and people are like, wow, the game's so different. It's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, this, this happens every single year, yeah. right? I mean, this is what it is. And we can sit here and talk about regular season hockey all we want. And, you know, it becomes, you know, a cliche. And I know it gets, you know, boring. And and especially for Vancouver, because it's kind of been like, hey, we're talking about how to have success in the playoffs. Heck, how about winning enough games to make the postseason? Yes. You yes. know I mean? And that's kind of the issue here in Vancouver, right? So I, I understand it's like, you know, we're sitting here talking about, you know, how to be good in the playoffs. And it's like, how about we get enough talent to be a playoff team in the first place, right? And I, I know that's what a lot of people say, but everything has to come together everything has to be part of the process to come together to be the type of team that has success, right? And if you don't start instilling those things early on, they don't become part of your good habits. It's a simple thing, right? Yeah. I mean, and how often can we talk about these things? And I'm just sick of any suggestions of, oh, no, let, let offensive guys be offensive guys because it doesn't work. It, it just doesn't work. And and as much as it's been painful to see, you know, Niels Hoaglander deal with his stuff and put coals in sometimes and some of these younger guys, and I know people always text in and say, give these young guys more ice time and everything, and it's like, well, if you start just giving them more ice time when you know they're not coming through in the details that matter, then when are they going to start learning those things and, 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 and learning to do those things together, you know? And and if you can't do those things early on, you're probably not going to do them later on, right? And well, and it, it might be able to allow you to get through a regular season, and you might be able to make the playoffs. But what's going to happen after that? No, well, I mean, I mean, we see that so many different times, right? Yeah. And and I think that's that's why, like, I'm 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 completely on board with all the details talk from now on. And anybody saying, <laughs> "Hey, those things don't matter," just doesn't know what they talk about anymore. Like, honestly, like I think it's been proven. Like we've had so much proof of concept when it's come to details mattering in Vancouver. It's ridiculous. Yeah, it's um. It's pretty clear. And, you know, when a coach is sort of telling you everything you need to know about his team, you know, that doesn't leave much to the imagination. And Rick Bonus did that last night. You know, his outburst shouldn't have wasn't out of left field because, again, we heard it a bunch through the end of the season when we've heard Rick talk it or even Boudreaux or Canucks management talk about the habits and all these different types of things. It shouldn't be a surprise when the team falls short of expectation and you know that's where like as much as you can you know work on these types of things and we saw Tockett have that uh that practice where we're going station to station now like you know we're going back to minor league hockey days uh minor hockey days you know it, it there was a lot that this team sort of just stopped doing from a foundational perspective. And I think it happens more often around the NHL than you'd like to admit sometimes. And it's not a problem that's singularly in Vancouver as we're seeing with the Winnipeg Jets, because you know sometimes players can think their bleep don't stink and they don't need to be told what to do or whatever else. And then when it comes down to it, they end up not having the most success. And we've seen that with the Winnipeg Jets here. So nothing right. out of the ordinary with the Jets and how this season ended. No, nothing at all. I mean, they were who they were, right? And, yeah. and that's how they finished the season. And if you're – okay, so we've talked about we, – we've now dissected the Jets and the pitfalls and the lessons and, and all the skepticism, especially with Vancouver's core. If you want to be optimistic about it, is maybe the most encouraging aspect that – 
the most dedicated player is your most talented player, and that's Elias Patterson. And Quinn Hughes as well. You see how much, you know, how he's, his details have been really strong. Does it bode a lot better for Vancouver's future here with this core compared to what Winnipeg did, given those two players specifically and how good they are and how they're going to be the foundation of the leadership group, that they can maybe steer clear of that? It's almost as if the Jets are the worst-case scenario for the Vancouver Canucks moving forward. And I can see that. Do the Jets have a player like Quinn Hughes or Elias Patterson? No, they don't. Now, I sat here and said, well, you can only say so much about a player if they don't have playoff success. And yes, Elias Patterson and Quinn Hughes still need to add that to their resumes in order to really take and be believed as among the top players and defensemen or forward in the league. But there's just no player on the Jets that matches what those guys can do and have done. You know, I talked about Mark Shifley. Shifley, to me, um, you know, puts up a ton of points, but has a larger than actual reputation of what he is as a defensive centerman on the ice. And that's been something that's persisted for a couple of years now. Blake Wheeler, I mean, the guy's 36. You know, there's only so much he can do at that age at this point. You go down the list, you know, Pierre-Luc Dubois, for as much as, you know, everybody, like I like Pierre-Luc Dubois when he's on his game, but I've just seen this guy switch it off too often. And I, quite frankly, I don't appreciate players that seem to choose when they want to turn it on and when they want to turn it off. Like, oh, it's contract year. I guess I'm going to play good. Oh, I don't really want to be in Winnipeg anymore. I guess I'm not going to play good. Oh, I don't really want to be in Columbus anymore. I guess I'm not really going to play good. Um, I, I don't have time for players like that. And the Canucks, like, they don't seemingly have that type of a player because Elias Pettersson seems genuine in everything that he says about wanting to win, and he backs it up with the way that he plays. You know, there's nothing about how Elias Pettersson plays that makes him the reason why the Canucks haven't been able to reach their expectations. No, I mean, you can talk about last season as being a year where Pettersson obviously, in his poor start, didn't was a big reason why the team struggled as much as they did, and it shows you the importance of the player and the maturity that he needed, and also him needing to get healthy. But just having to go through that adversity and what's that me- what that has meant to him, and how his perspective has changed, and how he deals with things. So you you got to grow, right, and to get to a certain aspect. But what was so you know, impressive about Patterson this year is putting it all together and us seeing Quinn Hughes essentially put back-to-back years of being a really good all-around player together and taking it to another level this season and putting himself in the in the discussion in, in the Norris and perhaps even more so in the future and as much as Josh Morrissey has been a player who's taken a step and he's, and he's really good he's not quite you know Quinn Hughes right and you're right there's no forward that is like Elias Patterson but especially now when they're they're going to be getting into their primes and they're really getting to that maturity level if they're going to be part of the, the, the leadership group now, it changes completely the trajectory of that room and what, what what that chemistry can look like. Now, it's still going to take a year, and we'll see how much more you know they can turn the roster over. It still needs, needs it. But in two years' time, three years' time, are we going to see a place where there is accountability, where we're, we're seeing players you know, do the right things like they've done in the past, like we've seen here it, it, with previous strong leadership groups, right? 
if we start seeing that in a couple of years, then it kind of shows you that what was really needed was not only you know making changes, but allowing this team to have a new young leadership group that raises the bar. I do. My other thought on this goes above the players, Sat, because, I mean, Winnipeg, how long is Ke- like Kevin Cheveldayoff's been the guy there forever, right? To varying levels of success or failure, however you depend to look at it, and has never really, I mean, the ownership group is loyal to their guys. They didn't yeah. want to fire Paul Maurice. Paul Maurice had to say, I quit because I'm never getting fired here. Unless my contract is up, I am not going to get fired by this group. And the same thing goes for Kevin Dayoff. It just feels like that guy's got a lifetime contract, no matter what. And when there's no accountability at any level of the organization, that's that's tough. And the one thing we can say, at least about this front office group, now, I'm not sure who holds them accountable. I guess it should be ownership, but they've it's it, it's like been the thing that they've talked about the most is accountability and really changing the culture here. And we've started to see at least steps towards improving that, as we've talked about, going all the way down to Abbotsford. But I think that's one thing that I can look at with the Jets and, and point to a reason why there's such a lack of accountability in that organization I mean, there's just there's no penalty for failure. And you can't have that in a professional sports situation. You can't have that anywhere in life. You can't have uh, any sort of an appetite for falling short of expectations, especially as much as that Winnipeg Jets core has. And it was a problem here in Vancouver for a long while as well with the previous management group. Yeah, I agree. I will say this, though, about the Jets. Like, So this would this would have been, this is their fifth year and six seasons making the playoffs and they did get to the third round once right and you're right they have still not won enough right considering the level of talent this team has and everything and and what they should have done but i can see at the very least the difference between vancouver and winnipeg being hey at least these guys have made the postseason and at least we had a core that every year was banking or close to being a playoff team when and at least having a chance to win a round or two and was a dark horse team for a couple of years so at least there's been some level of track record but i do think the lesson in terms of this team missing out on its window is not being ruthless enough and I think you do need to be ruthless. And at some point, it kind of becomes a level where the complacency sits in because, hey, we have the same characters coming back. Everything's kind of the same. Nothing's mm-hmm. really changing. And what's the penalty here for not having success? And I think that's something they're learning. And Rick Bonus, I think he'll be back next year, right? But I think this is probably the year they start saying, all right, we got to make some major changes to who we are as a team, and we got to take a different direction. And if they don't take it that direction, then Godspeed to wherever that team might be headed. Uh, a uh, peek into what could be happening for the Vancouver Canucks. Is that what the Winnipeg Jets are? Uh, you can answer 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. But as uh, one texter says, that's enough Jets talk for today. <laughs> I suppose they prefer we talk about the Maple Leafs. 
No, hey, man, we talk about the Leafs. <laughs> People say, why are you talking about the Leafs? Uh, but, hey, I just think it's interesting looking at the Jets and not only – A lot of similarities uh, with the Canucks. As we yeah, there are similarities, and, and, and there are some differences, right, like we outlined. And they have players that, that are interesting this offseason, like Bowen Burnaby mentions, Adam Lowry to Vancouver. I mean, if there's a player that would fit really nicely on this squad, it is Adam Lowry. Now, I'm not sure what their appetite is to trade him considering he seems to be, to be one of the guys that is part of the solution, generally speaking, in Winnipeg. Yeah. But he's, I mean, could you imagine him on, on the third line here in Vancouver? Would be is nice. He, is, he, is, he not, is he not exactly the type of player they need? Like, isn't that the type of third line center you're looking for in this team? It is. Big, fast, gives you a little bit of offense, can kill penalties, decent defensively, and in the playoffs, he'll be a monster. Yeah, I just... Um... I'd like to find an Adam Lowry for a little bit cheaper. <laughs> yeah. No, you know? I get you. I get you. But I'm just saying, like, he, he's like he's the type of guy that if you put him onto this team and if you want to be competitive quickly, he helps you do that. It is Not a, only does he help you get to the playoffs, he would help you in the playoffs. It is a prototype for what the Canucks could need, right? And even some players they have on D, you know, a Dylan DeMello type or a Brendan Dillon type, maybe at cheaper contracts. But, you know, th- there are pieces there in Winnipeg. And we hear this a lot, too, in Vancouver. There are pieces, just hasn't really worked out. And at some point, you got to make changes. That started here in Vancouver, and it's going to start in Winnipeg this summer. Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. Coming up, Yannick Hansen, his take on the playoffs is coming up next on Canuck Central. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Vancouver sports fans. Halford and Bruff in the morning. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Canuck Central in the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 2,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. Our next guest here on Canucks Central is Yannick Hansen. Joins us every Friday on the show. This analyst is brought to you by the Magnuson Auto Group, Metro Ford, Port Coquitlam, and Magnuson Ford in Abbotsford on both sides of the Fraser to serve you. Thanks for this, Yannick. Uh, you got big plans for the uh, first weekend of nice weather in Vancouver? <laughs> yeah, definitely outside right now. It's a nice change of scenery. Uh Still, uh, still a little bit of hockey left to be uh, watched and, and paid attention to, but no, it's, it's definitely a nice change of scenery. Do you miss playoff hockey, playing in it at least? Uh, of course. Uh, this is the best time of year. Uh, everything kind of comes together. Uh, everything you worked for the last uh, yeah, 10 months, um, the fruit of the labor, if you will. Um, so it, it, it's the best time of year, no question about that. Well, yeah, and I mean, when you watch certain teams play, and you kind of, I mean, for somebody who's played in the postseason before, and, and you know the level it takes to have success in the playoffs, can you kind of tell which teams pretty quickly can do it and can't do it, or do you still got to get surprised as the series goes on? Um, I think, to, to be honest, all 16 teams that make it in can do it. Um, the parity in the league is, is, is so close right now that you, you hit the right note, um, you stay healthy, that, that's always the big unknown, um, then, then you have an opportunity um, because there aren't that much that separate the best from, from, from the ones right, right below. 
Um, but then again, you, you need a little bit of help. Um, so let's say you're, you're a team on the, on the lower end of that scale. You need, need things to go right for you. You need your goalie to play really, really well. You need to steal a, a game here and there. You need to get away with, uh, with wins that you aren't thinking you're going to get. Um, and then run with it. And then once that confidence take over, uh, um, all you really need is that first round. Because a lot of times you're matched up against the best team in uh, in the division at that point. And if you beat them, then you're like, hey, we, we're here for real. And it's not downhill from now, but but uh, th- these are the best guys in, that we're going to match up with. And then you really get a get a belief that you can do it. Um, obviously, there are favorites, and there will always be favorites. Um, and that's where you look to is the is the game taking care of themselves. So, for instance, the, the hurricane against the Islanders game um, game what would that have been five there? Yeah. Islander or Hurricanes puts up almost 50 shots on net, um, and still they, they don't win. But that's the process. And again, as a good team, you rely on that, and that's what's gotten you to this point. And you keep believing we do the same thing over and over again. We will get our results. Where Islanders, they need to go out. They need to steal this one. They need to get a little bit of lucky, not just once or two times, but but three times in order to get this done. So that's where this balance between um, the good team and their structure and everything that have gotten them to that point, and then the little bit weaker teams that can still throw a wrench in the, in the engine, if you will, but, but it requires a little bit more for, for it to go right for them. Well, it's it's about commitment to the plan, right? Because there, there's always going to be an underdog in any series that you go into, but it... Maybe uh, to use a soccer reference, you know, if you can play a, a park the bus type style and really commit to not giving the opponent the middle of the ice, maybe you can limit your errors to some extent and try to, you know, keep the game close as long as you can. Wait for your power play. Like there's always a way to win a hockey game. There can't just be one way to win a hockey game. No, of course. And then to throw on pile on your references here, uh, uh, football is a game of inches. Hockey is a game of mistakes. Uh, whoever makes the fewest, ma- game, fewest mistakes tend to win the game. Um, and, and to that extent, the Perry is, is so close, so uh, it doesn't take a lot to gain a little bit of momentum. Um, that being said, like we're seeing a lot of closer series now than I think we, we anticipated going into this. Um, there's only one series that, that, that's over right now. And I don't think you would have anticipated that being the one that was over the first. Um, but that's hockey. That, that's why this trophy is so hard to win. It's so hard to predict. Um, all these things that has to go right, even for the, for the favorite, for them to, to come away with it. Um, and that's the, that's the beauty of the sport. Uh, you can't just sit at the beginning and say, okay, these guys, those are the guys that are going to run away with it at the end. And hopefully somebody can challenge them at the end. No, we, we're, we start the playoff and there are potentially 16 suitors to the cup. Well, and you know, one thing that you often don't hear at the end of a post, uh, uh, at the end of, a. uh, end of a season when a season ends in a playoff series like we saw with the Winnipeg Jets last night is the head coach Rick Bonus saying he was disgusted by the effort and called out the leadership and said there was no pushback I mean how rare is that as a player and, and what what do you think if if you were on a team and you lost a playoff series and a coach ripped into you at the end of that series that's pretty rare isn't it yeah, the only time it happened to us was uh, Dana Torch here, uh, but we did not make the playoff. But, but right. he also laid into the team. Um, and again, it's never good. And this Winnipeg team, they were so good for stretches, and then they just disappeared. 
Um, and they're obviously not as deep as, as other teams and not having uh, Ehlers for the whole series, not having Morrissey for, for some of the games, Shifley out for uh, as well. Like They, they can't overcome that. Um, but then you always revert back to, well, did they compete? Did they do the little things um, that can make us successful, even though we're, we're missing these strings to play on? And that's obviously what struck a, a chord with, with, with bonus uh I mean, if he's saying he must have seen something he did not like, otherwise he wouldn't be saying it. Because um, it is uh, it is painting a very, very bleak picture. And I'm assuming he's coming back next year. It's his first year there. Um, you're saying these things about the leadership. Um, uh, I'm You're expecting changes after that. Because, again, you can't you can't keep rolling back the, the, the same thing and then pushing these buttons. And this is the year-end pressure. Uh, pressure it's going to... It's going to probably set some precedent as to what happens over the summer with this team. I'm sure it was probably a, a pretty quiet plane ride home from Vegas last night with the Winnipeg Jets. Um, it, it's not like he, he mentioned a lot of these things through the end of the season. Rick Bonus did about this team, and you know, I guess this this sort of speaks to we've had a lot of culture conversations here in, in Vancouver, Yannick, almost weekly when when you're on and and with the, what this team has gone through. But when it gets to that point. When it gets to the point where the coach is calling you out as you know blatantly as Rick Bonus did last night, is the only way to change the culture to to change the mix of the players. Yeah, and that's the hardest thing to do because when you pull that trigger, you can't put it back in the in the chamber. Um, so so that's again, and that's not a coach decision. He can obviously speak his mind, um, and as a coach, you you'd obviously like to have full autonomy. Um, but again, there's a GM, there's an ownership. Uh, that also has a say in this. Um, and again, contracts aren't mo- easy to move. Uh, when you're moving from a position of weakness, it doesn't look good either. Um, but but again, when, when you have your coach saying these things, if you as management, uh, GM ownership, uh, expecting to come back with the, with the same group and just uh, add on the, the fringe of, of these players, because that group has been together for a long time in Winnipeg, and, and they have been almost always on the verge of something really, really good um, and then not quite come through. Um, then, uh, yeah, you're, you're standing between your coach and your team as to uh, where, where are we going to move this in, in the right direction? Is it uh, finding a new coach because obviously he sees something here that he doesn't like or, or do we start making some, some rotation on, on the player personnel on some players that have been there for a very long time? Well, and, and bonus, you know, when he went into that job, he was tasked with changing the culture, changing the habits, all those things that we've heard so much of. And they, they kept it together for half a season. And then the bad habits start to, started to creep in. And it's it's a very uh, it's a very similar storyline to, to Rick Tockett here in, in Vancouver. And, you know, even in the, the 30 plus games that he coached with the Canucks, you know, we saw some of the habits start to change. But then as the season came close to an end, maybe some of the bad habits started to creep back in. Is it a case of a leopard just can't change its spots, Yannick? Like sometimes you are who you are as a player and, and that's that's how you're going to be? I think so. Uh, again, you're dealing with older players. When I say older, they're obviously not old, but in the sense that they're, they've been in the league for a while. Uh, they've made a lot of money. Um, you have a different kind of security. And, and once you, you, again... You get that contract. I know it's tough words right now, but once you get that contract, it's hard to uh, to really push those buttons because at the end of the day, like you're, yeah, okay, what are you gonna you're gonna send me somewhere else? Uh, that paycheck, paycheck is still, you're not sending me to the miners. You're not ruining my 
my childhood dream of, of playing in the NHL. I'm still playing. Um, I like the way I play. I put up points. Um, all of these things that kind of have to go on the back burner a little bit. Um, so it, it's very, very hard to change bad habits, um, especially if it comes at the cost of maybe some of the more fun things. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's the big thing, and and that's why I think we, we've been kind of at a crossroads here in Vancouver when it comes to kind of changing that mix and, and changing that group. And, you know, turning our sights to uh, some of the other series around the league, and I want to kind of get your thoughts on what's going on with the Leafs and the Tampa Bay Lightning. Toronto up 3-1 in the series last night, had a chance to, to move on, and they end up losing to Tampa Bay, and they had a pretty listless effort to start, weren't very strong in the third, and the next thing you know, they have now lost 11 straight elimination games when we hear those things 11 straight elimination games and you know the market's always kind of wondering if they're going to you know fail when they have a chance to win does that get in the head of the players at all does there start becoming something that the players think about when a franchise is going through a rut like that in terms of having success in the playoffs yeah because it's these guys that have done those 11 straight uh, um, elimination games a lot of them it's matthews it's marner it's riley um Tavar has been part of the, some of them now as well. So, so they have, uh, it's that core group, Nylander as well. Um, and again, I'm, if I'm Toronto, I, I, I felt pretty good for them because they kind of flipped the script, the script. What had happened in those two games in Tampa where they come back and they tie it and they win in overtime, that's what had been done to them for the past couple of years. And now they're doing it to other teams. Um, what I'm scared of right now is Vasilevsky all of a sudden turning it on and, and he all being said he hasn't been as good as he is supposed to be as we expect him to be and and that's one player that can that can turn a series completely they're going back to Tampa now for game six um he outplayed Samson of in in game five if he gets a little bit momentum here now all of a sudden you're, you're playing against a proven goaltender who's proven that he can steal not only games but but series as well um that's the that's the big uh unknown in this series because Toronto has to some extent played better than Tampa and, and been the better team. Um, Vasilevsky haven't been the player he has been and, and that's the one thing that can kind of upend this a little bit. You know, uh, it's you guys kind of went through this with uh, Chicago, right? And, you know, you're up 3-0 in that series in 2011 and then they start to come back. I mean, can there be a, a, almost like a, a woe is me moment? Like this can't be happening again to us? Um, yeah, but there's there's still uh, it, it was one game again. If if they can take care of business in Tampa, then uh, all, all harm is said and done. All that those things are are, are gone. Um, but again, this this is the scenario you don't want to go into. Um, the reason you want to finish it in five is because it's your home ice. You're going back. Uh, you have all the momentum. Um, you lose game five. Now you got to go back on the road into their building. Now they believe. All they got to do, they got to win a game six in front of their fans. They've had so much success there. And then we're in a game seven all of a sudden. So the script from being down 3-1, almost out, to being in a game seven is so short, even though you theoretically still have to win that game six. But, but it's, it's within reach now. Uh, that's what's scary about not closing out series when, when you stand with the opportunities to do it. Well, and, and not only, you know, when, when you have a chance to win these series, one of the things, too, that you kind of wonder about in general when it comes to a team like Tampa Bay, and I, I've been wondering, is it better for this team that's been to three straight Stanley Cup finals that if they're not going to win the Cup this year, 
to kind of lose early and be able to regroup and get after it next year. And I'm not suggesting they should try to lose or anything, but when they were down 3-1, I was kind of wondering, is maybe the best thing for this team to have an early exit and get that motivation and keep their window open? Because, I mean, making four straight deep runs, like how much does that take out of a group of players? You want you want to be a dynasty. I mean, they are borderline that anyways, but, but you want to keep keep piling on finals and hopefully rings. Uh, you don't want to take a step back. That step back... Uh, Doubt creeps in. Doubt creeps in to uh, coaches, management. Or oh, do we need to make a change here? Do we need to get rid of uh, one of our core players? Do we need to get younger? All of these questions starts uh, arising really, really soon. Where if Tampa makes another run at it, get to the final and lose a final again, um, there's no question they can win uh, or go there a fifth year as well. Because like you keep rolling it back when they keep having that type of success. But again, success. Uh, needs to happen as well, not just in the regular season. So, uh, again, as a team organization, no, if I'm Tampa, I, I want to make a run at it right now and you're right there w- within the within the reach. They uh, they just play with such great winning habits, and uh, that's uh, the one thing the Leafs, I think, are, are still trying to learn, as uh, we've seen in this series. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers have the LA Kings on the brink, and um, it's – you know, we know, uh, you know McDavid's always going to do his damage, but the, the real star so far has been Leon Dreisaitl, and the guy puts up a ton of points, but, you know, his points per game in the playoffs is among the best we've ever seen, Yannick. And just, you know, from, from your perspective playing against this guy, did you see this level in, in Leon Dreisaitl when you would go up against him? Um, to dial it back a couple of years here, um, he was our 13th forward um when we played world uh, the world cup with team europe there um very wow. young obviously um so he was kind of the um the the, the extra player and it took him about uh, a couple of practices a couple of games and and then that was over he he was that good dominant physical good with the puck uh, uh so again you you saw the the potential right away um obviously he he's taken it to a whole nother level um but once you you combine the, the skill set with the size, it, it becomes almost impossible to stop. Um, you add a little bit of speed, and, and again, somebody else you have to watch out for on that team as well, um, and, and they become unstoppable because um, you're throwing your theoretically you're throwing your best guys at McDavid. He's the best player in the world. There's no question about that. But then you have a guy who is he's not half a half a step behind McDavid and in, in being the best player. He's a little bit behind. But but now all of a sudden you're you're down to your sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth best player on the team to to shutting down this guy, and obviously he he's he's striving. Well, he is, and he, one of the things about his game too is the fact that he doesn't really need to have any speed to generate and be able to create. And when you look at a guy and you look at a game that is becoming faster, what's the main trait you need if you don't have that speed to be able to create space for yourself? Yeah, I don't know. I wish I knew that. Then I would still be playing. Uh, uh, no, it, it's it, it's it's one of those things. Like Pavelski in the same boat. Uh, I, I I love him, tremendous teammate and player. But once he left San Jose, I was like, okay, they, this might be it. Dallas might have made a mistake here. He's old and he is slow, um, but but just keeps finding way. They're so good with the puck, getting in the right position. Uh, spreading it out, drawing players in, finding open guys. Um, obviously, Dreisaitl will have more strings to play on than Pawlowski. Um, but, but again, like they, they just think the game at, at a different pace, see things that uh, 
not a lot of guys do, and, and that gives them that half a second to get in the right spot in the right position where everybody else has to make that correction once you see it. Yannick, uh, we always appreciate the time. Thanks for this today. Yeah, no pressure. My pleasure. Take care. Uh, there is Yannick Hansen. Joins us every Friday. Always has incredible insights on uh, what's going on around the National Hockey League, usually with the Vancouver Canucks. But, of course, uh, their season is done. But, um, you know, interesting, uh, you know, Yannick, sort of on the same boat as everybody else with you know, what's going to happen in Winnipeg. They're the first team out of the Stanley Cup playoffs here and it's it's got to be change like once a player and a coach once players and coaches have that type of a clash there's only one way to go it's either the coach has got to go or uh, the players have got to start changing up a little bit yeah and i think they're getting to a point where um they know it's the players (laughs) yeah and it's gonna happen too i mean they're gonna be forced into doing it right especially with um with the number of players that need to have key decisions made on them and it's going to be an interesting offseason at least uh, we'll see obviously and the question is going to be are, are the jets going to relatively speaking in the big picture have been more um let's let's say are, are they going to give more rope to this management team in this core than the market itself yeah, and uh, especially with the whole, like, uh, hey, sign up for your season tickets yeah. now sort of conversation. It's almost like they were getting ready, people ready. Like, we need to get as many signups as possible before we blow this team up. Uh, it could be one way of looking at it. We'll see where uh, it goes this summer for the Winnipeg Jets. As for the Leafs, um, I can't say, Sat, that uh, I've been overly impressed with how the Leafs have built their 3-1 lead and now 3-2 after losing – last night you know they were for large parts of the two games they won in Tampa Bay the second best team on the ice and they were the second best team on the ice again last night but the one thing I can't get over this is the second year straight that Sheldon Keefe has stuck with Justin Hall on on the back end and when you talk Mm. about coaching decisions look can coaches win you a playoff series no can they lose you games I think sometimes yes. And right now, Justin Hall has been on the ice. When when he's been on the ice, the Leafs have outscored have been outscored fourteen two in this series. Yeah, it's pretty bad. That's tough, man. And when you have Timothy Lilligren sitting on the back it's not like they don't have a worthy option being healthy scratched right now. They they quite certainly do. Um so that's that's the one thing that really baffles me in this series. Well, and especially because they do have Luke Shen as well, and yeah. I guess I guess part of the reasoning is, especially with how big and heavy the Lightning can can be in play, that you you kind of want to have that size on the back end, you want to have that bite, and you want to be able to handle their forwards. But sure, that makes sense in theory, but that theory is not working out very well on the ice, right? And now Lilligren hasn't played enough the last little bit, so that's always going to create a bit of reluctance from a coach to put a guy in who hasn't played, especially this deep in a playoff series, and, and maybe that works against Lilligren at this point. He's, he may feel like he's committed to Hole, which I'm, I'm not sure I buy into, but I wonder if, if they end up doing that. But, you know, somebody texted in and said, it's fixed. Bettman won the six-game series, won the game six on Saturday night. Did you see the non-calls of last night's game? And sure, there's some bad calls, but you can't sit here and say the Toronto Maple Leafs came out as closers last night. They didn't, no. you know. And, you know, like Yannick also mentioned, these guys, a lot of them, have been there for these 11 straight elimination game losses. And it's hard to overcome that mentally sometimes. So that game six on Saturday 
it's it's going to be fascinating, right? Because if you come back for a game seven, I mean, if your nerves can't handle game six, how are you going to handle game seven on home ice? You feel even more pressure on home ice. It's becoming so fascinating all of a sudden this series, which seemed like it was on the brink of being over. It's uh, Dan Richo, Satyar Shaw. We have the mailbag coming up. If you haven't got a question in yet, 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. We'll answer your questions next on Canuck Central.